0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Kevin, it's good to have you with us.
1: Good to be with you, Dan. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, uh, this coming Sunday is something on the church calendar called Ascension Sunday. And uh, so maybe we can talk about that today. Kevin, to get us started uh, what is the significance of the ascension of Christ? Why why is it important?
1: Well, then, ascension Sunday always falls about this time of year because um, our Lord ascended forty days or so after his resurrection, and we celebrated Easter about forty days ago. So, ascension day was actually this past Thursday, but this Sunday, a lot of churches celebrate the ascension because they celebrate it the nearest Sunday to the 40 days after Easter and of course it's an event I think the significance of which is often thinned out and uh, somewhat lost on us Uh, often the Ascension is treated as a kind of footnote to the resurrection where Jesus is saying something like well I'm finished now and I guess it's time to go back to heaven but it's a much richer and a much more significant event for us as Christians and for our lives together in the body of Christ for a number of reasons. Um, It is not simply a footnote to the resurrection. The ascension is itself an act of triumph, an act of victory, and it crowns and it consolidates the triumph of Christ over sin and over death and over all the principalities and powers uh, that was wrought in his, his resurrection. And the ascension seals that and enables the triumph of Christ to now become universal and be spread out to the nations. Uh, Imagine uh, simply a resurrected but not yet ascended Jesus walking around Palestine in his immortal and glorious body for uh, thousands of years. I suppose he would attract lots of pilgrimages, but he he couldn't do the things that he now does for the church um, as the ascended Lord. And so the ascension is a critical event which permanently enthrones Christ as King and makes him accessible to all men everywhere and to the Church in all nations.
0: And you said that the ascension essentially seals this work of Christ?
1: Well, it crowns it, but it also yes, it it, it crowns the fact that he is the conqueror, that he has triumphed, that he is now raised immortal and that he's inaugurated a new order The order of the resurrection, the the power of the age to come, the beginning of the new creation. He's the first fruits from the dead and thus the promise of the full harvest of the resurrection at the end of the age. And even as we speak of his uh, death being on our behalf and we, through baptism, die with him, and his resurrection as the guarantee of our resurrection, and in baptism we not only die with him, but we are raised with him through faith. Also, his ascension is the guarantee of our ascension and an event in which we already, not fully, but yet already participate in because Ephesians 2 tells us that we are raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. So it's not an event external to us. It's an event unique to Christ, true, but an event in which we, by faith, through the Spirit, participate in. We're raised up and seated with Him. As, as Paul says in Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And so part of what the Ascension does is it raises our affections there. Paul goes on to say, you know, set your mind not on things of earth, but on the things above, because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when He is revealed, when He comes again in His second coming, His final advent, you too who have died with him, who have been raised with him, and have ascended with him, and are seated with him, you too will be revealed with him in glory. And so our lives are bound up with Jesus Christ, not simply Jesus Christ crucified and risen, but Jesus Christ crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again in glory.
0: Mm. It helps us to, to focus on this Christ at the Father's right hand, um, I guess, every day of our lives, and, and especially so in, in Christian worship.
1: Yes, I think a helpful way to think about Christ's ascended office or his role as the ascended Lord is through this threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. Christ is our prophet and our priest and our king, both in his what theologians call his humiliation and his, his incarnate state in history on earth, but also in his exaltation. He's our prophet, priest, and king. And so if we take these one at a time, and, and taking up on your question with the uh, role of the ascended Christ in our worship, if we mm-hmm. take these one at a time and we think of our worship, it is enabled particularly uh, when we think of Christ as our ascended priest. Because, as we see throughout the book of Hebrews, Christ is now the great high priest who has entered into the heavenly sanctuary, and there he is our forerunner, and thus we come after him. And so, what his ascension does is it opens up um, the life of God in the heavenly sanctuary for us to have fellowship and communion with God. There would be no fellowship or communion with God without Christ's ascension into the heavenly tabernacle, and. And here there's a rich and very helpful theology in the book of Hebrews about this. Um, Hebrews 9, for example, says, um, you'll remember that when Moses established the covenant at Sinai, in addition, he took the blood of of the slain animals and he sprinkled the people, which is a picture of our forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, But he also sprinkled the book of the law and the tabernacle itself and all the vessels used for worship. And the writer to the book of Hebrews goes on to say, I think somewhat, perhaps surprisingly, he says that if those earthly tabernacle elements uh, needed to be purified with various rites, then he goes on to say the heavenly things themselves, the heavenly sanctuary, has to be cleansed with the better sacrifice of Christ because we know from the book of hebrews that the the wilderness tabernacle the earthly sanctuary is but a copy it's but a reflection of the true heavenly sanctuary and so the earthly sanctuary is purified by bloody sacrifices but when christ ascends hebrews nine tells us he purifies the heavenly sanctuary whatever that might mean it's actually been somewhat problematic but But it certainly means that he inaugurates fully the new covenant, that he prepares, and that he enables us to enter that heavenly realm and worship God. So, yes, as our high priest, he makes worship possible. And I think we can even go further than that. I think um, in some um, thinking about the ascension, the humanity of Jesus, wearing our nature as our priest, tends to drop from sight, it tends to disappear or thin out as Jesus ascends, uh, and we lose the idea that we come in and with and through him to the Father. For example, in that same book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, um, Jesus says that he will declare the name of the Father, he will, he will declare his name to his brothers, I will tell of your name to my brothers, in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise, And this is really quite remarkable. Here you have the risen and ascended Christ saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And so Jesus, if you will, as man, worships the Father with us as our elder brother. Mm. And and, uh, John Calvin said of that citation uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, which really comes from Psalm 22, Hebrews is citing Psalm 22, Calvin says this means that Christ is the chief conductor, the lead conductor of our hymns to God. And so he leads us in our worship. He says there, Behold, I and the children God has given to me. He says to the Father, Here I am, I present myself. I appear on their behalf, but I appear with them in their nature. And so what I think is helpful here is to conceptually sometimes turn Jesus around in our minds. Uh, because often we think of Jesus up in heaven, looking down at us, sort of facing us, and, and we worshiping him. And that, of course, is true. He is the divine Lord, and we worship him. But he is also man. And, so, and we are not left, then, without a mediator in our worship. And so it's good to somehow turn him around and realize that he's our forerunner. And as our priest, he goes before us, and we shelter behind him. We come in behind him, and he presents us and our worship to God as the mediator. And that's liberating, and I think comforting, because it means he cleanses us and our defective prayers, our defective worship, our wandering erroneous ideas, and presents us and our worship pure before the face of the Father. So when it comes to worshiping God, Jesus Christ in our humanity as our ascended priest is essential for that worship to
0: take place. It is uh, a certain reality here that comes to my mind as this coming Lord's Day as we're in the worship service to know of certainty that um, Jesus is right there, as you say, the, the chief conductor in our worship. It helps us, I would think, to get our eyes off of man and on to Christ.
1: Yes, I think a lot of this can be summarized by saying not only do we worship Jesus, we worship in and with and through Jesus.
0: Yes, it's almost like there's a new awareness almost as we understand the scriptures regarding this. Uh, here's Jesus ascended, he is really there. It's not just a theory, it's not just a. I mean, he, there's actually a, a body, isn't there? Exactly, there's
1: a man at the right hand of God our elder brother, in our humanity, saying to the Father, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Here I am, I and the children you, O Lord, have given to me. Yes. And that means we have a mediator. We have someone who goes before us as priest, forerunner, pioneer, as Hebrews puts it, of our worship. And in going before us, he has cleansed, and purified and made ready the heavenly sanctuary. He therefore appears before God as our advocate, our intercessor, on our behalf, even in the midst of receiving our worship.
0: Mm. It's something special to keep in mind this coming Lord's Day for sure as we meet with the people of God and Mm. and we visualize this Jesus, which is the biblical Jesus, uh, as our priest. Um, You mentioned two other aspects, prophet and king. Can you expand on them at all?
1: Sure. I think um, these are also helpful ways to illuminate the significance of the ascended Christ. Maybe we'll take prophet first, because I think that one tends to be neglected. We we tend to get that Christ is our priest, and uh, he's the king now that he's enthroned in heaven. But he is also prophet, and um, you know Hebrews the book of Hebrews, which is really the place to go for all of this material, at least the classical place, begins by saying, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, the days that were inaugurated with Christ's first advent, these last days, the whole period of the church age, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so jesus is the final speech of god to us the word of god to us and his ascension enables that word to come to us through the spirit he gives and then through us and through the ministry of the church spread out to the nation and so it's important to realize that the exalted living ascended and enthroned christ speaks addresses his people as prophet he hasn't given up this role and We see this most prominently in the fact that through the sending of the Spirit as the Ascended One, that Spirit then inspires the apostles to write Holy Scripture and to give us the New Testament. And through their ministry, uh, their preaching, but ultimately their writing, we now have the Word of God inscripturated for us or written down in the Bible for us. And through that New Testament text, as we repentantly and humbly listen to it, we hear the voice of the ascended Jesus in the Spirit speaking to the Church. Christ Himself preaches through the preaching of the apostles and through the preaching of the ministry of the Holy Catholic Church. And thus, He gives us His Word and continues to be the eloquent Word of God to the Church.
0: Hmm. I heard you say a phrase that caught my attention also as you're describing Jesus, our prophet, um, and it came from uh, your reading of Hebrews when you mentioned these last days, and I guess the biblical perspective is that the last days started when?
1: Well, the New Testament repeatedly teaches that the last days began when Christ appeared. In these last days to us or has spoken to us in his Son. And so throughout the New Testament you see this notion in these last days he was revealed for us. John will even go so far as to say in his epistle that it is the last hour. And that's because when Jesus comes, the end or the the coming of the kingdom breaks into time, the future breaks into time and so the end is always standing over us now. Mm-hmm. And thus it is already in motion. This is what we mean when we say that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, the firstborn of the dead. It, it doesn't simply mean that He was raised and later will be raised, although that is of course true. It means that in His resurrection as first fruits of the harvest, the harvest has already begun. Mm. The end time breaking in of the kingdom mm. has already occurred, not not in a full way, no. but in an initial a provisional, inaugural way in Jesus. We call this the already and the not yet. Mm -hmm. The kingdom has already come, but it has not yet come in fullness. And in that interim, that already not yet period, which is the whole period of the church's life until the second coming, in that period, Jesus lives and reigns as the ascended one, and thus is the church's prophet through whom we hear the Word of God because He speaks. And He is the Church's priest who enables our, our worship. We already went over that, but in addition to what we said, we must highlight the fact that as priest, He ever lives, as Hebrews 7 and, and Romans 8 put it, to make intercession for us. Oh yes, He intercedes for us. Again, this, this is a sort of a picture of Him facing the Father, standing between us hmm. and the Father as mediator, if you will praying for us as our advocate. And that means prayer. Not only worship or communion with God, but prayer would be impossible without this ascended priesthood of Christ. Mm. And so, yes, in the last days, he's our ascended prophet, our ascended priest, and our ascended king.
0: So we can have confidence in our prayer lives.
1: Right, not, not based on our eloquence or no. our ability to always pray, right? We're, we're already... Informed by Paul that we don't always know how to pray as we ought, no. right? Not only Jesus, but he says, tells us in Romans 8 that the Spirit intercedes for us with mm. groanings too deep for words. Our intercession rests wholly on his intercession. And this goes back to the, the question of the ascension not simply being a footnote. Um, to the resurrection, but enabling the eternal, perpetual, saving ministry of Jesus Christ as priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And part of that priesthood is his ever-living, perpetual intercession. And because he is that kind of a priest, um, he is able, Hebrews says, to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And this means the ascension, if you will, is a saving act. It enables Jesus to save to the uttermost fully and completely the people for whom he gave his life and Mm. the people on whose behalf he was raised.
0: That's neat. It's a saving act. Interesting. Right. Um, We've talked about him being a prophet and priest and being ascended prophet and priest. Can you help us a little bit on the kingly aspect of it?
1: Yes, this is um, seen, I guess, perhaps most vividly in, in Revelation chapter 1, where where John sees the transfigured Christ in the, in the very introduction of the book there in Revelation 1. He speaks of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Mm. It is his ascension which enthrones him as king and this is not just a flighty kind of ethereal kingship. It's a real political kingship. Jesus can say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And so he, this is what we mean when we call Jesus the king of kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, in modern language, it'd be like saying he's the president of presidents, Mm-hmm. You know, he's the legislator of legislatures you know that's sort of he's the judge of all judges he is the king of kings and in psalm 2 uh, which is a messianic psalm which you know prophesies and and predicts the the coming rule of the messiah as king a psalm which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in that psalm the father says as for me I have set my king on Zion my holy hill Jesus is ascended and enthroned in the heavenly Zion. And from there the Father says to him, Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And on the basis of the fact that Jesus is ascended as king, as if you will, the political governor of the cosmos, the kings of the earth are warned at the end of Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, meaning do homage to the son, public homage to him in your office, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And so Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and becomes so uniquely in the event of the ascension. And coupled with this and of great comfort is that this kingship has particular reference to guarding and defending, and gathering, and protecting, and preserving the Church, which he has purchased with his own blood. Mm. We would not have a prophet to speak to the Church throughout the nations, a priest to enable the worship of the Church in the heavenly sanctuary, or a king to defend and gather the Church and to defeat our and his own enemies were it not for the ascension.
0: Mm. How do you answer somebody that objects to this um, saying, well, Pastor Kevin, things are so bad right now, and, and it seems like we have um, local kings that squash the Christian faith. How would we deal with that in our thinking?
1: Well, let's say two things about that. Dan. One is they have been much, 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 much worse
0: <laughs>
1: at many different times and in many different places. For all of the tribulation and anxiety and distress that American Christians have at some of our current cultural disarray and some of the trajectory of our public life, and, and it's real distress, and it's it's really uh, disheartening at times, um, we still have an extraordinary amount of freedom and liberty to promulgate the gospel. Um, the second thing to be seen is, our situation is not nearly as bad as the situation of Christians in various other places around the world, mm. or the situation of the early church under the Roman Empire. Yes. Or, for that matter, the situation of the very chosen people of God, Israel, when they were in exile in Babylon, or when they were scattered to Syria. The church has faced much, much worse than this, and we can look back on that history in the past and see that God has been faithful to gather his people, to fulfill his promises in the face of what appears to be disasters and to bring forth his glory on the other side of that exile and that alienation and that suffering. This is essentially what it means to be people of Christ who recognize that without a cross, there is no crown. Mm. Without death, there is no resurrection. And this is God's way of purifying the church and ultimately expanding his dominion from, as... uh, The Psalms say, from the river to the ends of the earth. So, I think we have to take a wide historical view to see our situation properly. Mm. Yes, our situation is distressing, but no, it is not nearly as distressing as what the Church has faced in the past, and what it faces around the world presently. Mm. And coupled to that is, is a more profound biblical theological point, which is, we must never be disheartened, and we must never allow our cultural situation, to determine the shape of our hope, our cheerfulness, and our optimism in the reign of the ascended Christ. Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension, the inbreaking of his kingdom, must be fundamental in shaping the way we look at history, culture, and politics. And while the temptation is real to get disheartened and discouraged, the time we live in is resurrection time. It's ascension time. It's Pentecost time. It's the time of salvation. It's the time of the gospel. It's the time of Christ's triumph. And it is good time, joyful time, hopeful time for the Church. And we must allow the Bible then, and particularly the Bible as it comes to fruition in the risen and ascended Christ, to shape the way we look at these sorts of things. If the Church is to go through deeper tribulation and triumph. Martyrdom, even, the Church will prevail. As Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Church. Or another, yet another, perhaps, avenue to reflect on this, Dan, is to recognize that for all the distress the Church has faced in the West in, in recent years, and maybe even in, in, the, in a recent century or so, the Church has grown rapidly in the, in the global South, Latin America and South America. It's grown rapidly in Asia. There were about a million Christians in China in 1900. There are somewhere around, depending on which estimate you believe, a hundred million now. Yes. There's an enormous revival of various strands of Christianity in sub-Saharan Africa in our day. On some accounts, almost 10,000 people a day are turning to Christ mm. in Africa. So the Lord is uh, is not simply the Lord of the American church or the Lord of the North American church or the Western church or the English-speaking church. He is the Lord of the nations, and he is happily uh, gathering his people, and he, is, he has and he is and he shall triumph over all opposition and all deceit and all lies.
0: Mm. Well, that's very encouraging. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. My guest today on the program is Dr. Kevin Sherritt, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York, and we've been talking about the ascension of Christ. Uh, This episode is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Kevin, thanks again for joining us.
1: Dan, thanks so much for having me.
0: And to our listeners, please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.